0: Roberta and I are sitting here today on a Wednesday, just checking in. Um, we wanted to check in with each other and you know, tell you all about some new things that we have going on, some some goals for the future that we have, and just to hear each other's
1: voices. So, how are you doing, Roberta? I'm good. I'm good. Morgan, how about you? How are you today? I'm good. Um, Obviously, last week was
0: crazy, but fortunately, uh, something crazy in my personal life happened over the weekend, which almost helped me distract myself from it and not stay glued to the TV and to the news. Um, Because the day that they stormed the Capitol, I was glued to the TV. And it was very much resulting in almost a numbing feeling where you're just in disbelief, but you're not surprised. And everybody's mm-hmm. saying the same things. Everybody feels the same way, at least in your circles. Um, but my cat got fleas over the weekend. So we, were, we went to the vet. It was a $400 appointment. We had to vacuum the whole house. And we were up till 3 a.m. on a Saturday doing that. And it was
1: awful. But at the same time, I like completely forgot about politics for the weekend, which was kind of nice wow oh i'm so sorry does your cat go outside
0: no but i guess you can track them in on your shoes you can track in flea eggs holy crap
1: i did not know that
0: yeah but she's all good now she's treated and the house has been treated and now it's just vacuuming and combing and she'll be all right
1: in no time oh boy animals you love them but they cost money they cost money sure do yeah. So today I I too, Morgan, was sitting at my not a we don't turn the TV on, but I was glued to the computer where I was watching all the live feeds of what was going on at the Capitol with anger and frustration and fear. Fear. And of course, you have these obsessive thoughts where you don't know if you've thought the same thought over and over again. Like, are they gonna make it out? Is it gonna, you know, is there a bomb? all those things that they the commentators were talking about. And it just becomes very, very troubling. We, we stayed up very late that night, which is unusual for me. Spoiler alert, I'm a very early to bed person, but um, <laughs> couldn't do it that night. Had to stay up, had to stay on the media, figure out what was going on and why and who was doing it. And Well, we know who caused it, right? There's no dispute there amongst, like you said, people who are in your bubble or in your um, cohort. We knew what the cause was, and it's been brewing for four years, so that was disturbing too. But it made me realize how vulnerable democracy is, you know, that it could just happen like that where someone triggers – Um, you know, after a long buildup, triggers the fire, throws the match, and suddenly there's a riot that kills people and endangers lives and injures people. It was really terrifying.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And to see the, the police enabling that behavior from white supremacists to that scale, we all know that they enable it, that many of them are white supremacists, and we all know what happened in the summer and how the police reacted to protests For George Floyd um, and for the Black Lives Matter movement, but to see it them be so hypocritical to that scale, you expect it, but you're still in disbelief. That's another one of those things. You're not surprised, but you're just astonished.
1: See, I didn't know that the day of. I I was just looking at the live feeds of what they were showing through you know the websites, CNN and the New York Times primarily, and. I don't know that any of those commentators were talking about the complicity of the police. Everybody was questioning why was there no police response? You mm-hmm. know, why did these people just flood in with seemingly no police response whatsoever? Why were there so few there? But those questions were not answered on that day. It's only afterwards when I started reading about the complicity of the police and the, you know, the one from Philadelphia, the detective that was actually down there, and all these other police from all over the country that I begin to, I, I understood finally that there was complicity. And that is a problem. That's a huge problem. Yeah, I mean, before it's even exposed in the
0: media, you know that prior to the protests in major cities this summer, the police were were standing in in lines in front of all the major buildings. And so this was a premeditated protest. So if they don't take that measure, it's obvious that they are choosing not to take that measure, which is enabling.
1: Well I didn't know if it was so obvious. I you know it's the Capitol Police, the Metro Police, the FBI, the National Guard. It's it's complicated. So and who controls all of them? The Joint Chiefs of Staff, the Defense I don't know who's maybe no one controls them all you know so it was individual decision makers making bad decisions and not coordinating i could believe that happening the government is big you know to give them the benefit of the doubt there may have been a cabal of you know policing organizations and agencies that didn't want any problem and wanted to enable this thing um But I don't know. I I think that's all got to be investigated. I don't think there's a a clear answer yet on why exactly it happened. Who made that decision? Right. Well, the D.C. Metropolitan Police cannot intervene
0: without, you know, the invitation of the Capitol Police. So there is that for sure. Mm -hmm. But it's just, you know, uh, the police don't work for us and, and their, their, their statements on who, who are you going to call when you're sexually assaulted or disgusting, and they won't even help in, in, in the situation of, you know, a attempted coup. So I don't know, but to get off that topic, because yeah, let's talk really. about other things. <laughs> on a lighter note, um, what have
1: you been reading, watching and listening to? I'm curious. Okay, so somewhere I have a list of everything I read. I read a lot of books during this year, during 2020, both from the library and from buying books. I read a lot of Toni Morrison this year, and that was an eye opener to me because I really sorry for the confession, but I had not read Toni Morrison's books. Mm. Obviously, I'd seen Beloved, the movie, and so I knew that that was amazing. But I hadn't read the books. You know, I read fiction, nonfiction, and all the rest. So I started getting them from the library and ordering them and buying them from Uncle Bobby's books or Harriet's bookshop. And I want to say they're some of the best books I've ever read. They're just amazing. The language, the sort of mystical, larger-than-life characters, the settings, the macabre the the visceral. Oh my goodness, they're so great. And so I want to like grab them all up and buy some more and read everything she's ever written. So yeah, yeah. that that was my big my big reading canon this year plus I plowed through a very large book by Marlon James who's a Jamaican writer This seven a brief history of seven killings which is set in Jamaica and it has Bob Marley in it a thinly veiled Bob Marley called The Stinger and that was amazing it was very hard to get through for me because it was very thick Jamaican patois you know, um, dialogue, it was a lot of dialogue and, by characters who were Jamaican born, but it was really a, a whopping good story. Very good. Highly recommended. Thumbs up. So that's me. How about you? What did you read? So what have I read?
0: I, so my, um, my brother's girlfriend posted at the end of 2020 that she had read 70 books this year which led me to like scramble and I got the same <laughs> app good and I was trying to think how many books have I read in my life and I could only think of 100 so I my goal for 2021 is to read quite a bit more. I, I after the haunting of black well right before the haunting of blind manor came out which is have you watched it? No, what is that? It's a Netflix it's a second series um following the haunting of hill house which was after shirley jackson's novel so i read the haunting of hill house um before the haunting of blind manor came out and it was so good like the way that she writes horror is more about these shiftings around you um shifting of planes that can slowly make you go insane because of a slight incline things like that are very um Real, you can imagine yourself going a little bit crazy if you lived in a slanted home, and
1: mm. that
0: was really amazing. Um, mm. and then I read The Secret History by Donna Tart, ah, who wrote uh, The Goldfinch, right? And now I'm reading The Goldfinch, yeah. But my goal is to read The Broken Earth trilogy, I've picked it up a bunch of times. It's by N.K. Jemison, and it's so it's like I know the writing is amazing, I know it's won awards. What's difficult for me during the pandemic is to have enough concentration to give the world that she's created the attention it deserves and to really immerse myself into it. I find it hard. We live in such a dystopian world this year to really jump into that world. But that's my goal. Um, and I'm hoping reading these longer novels by Donna Tart will help me inch my way into <laughs> expanding my attention for that.
1: Good. Did you say, did you mention Goodreads? Is that the app that your um, brother's girlfriend use? Goodreads. Yes. Yeah. I'm on Goodreads. You should oh, follow yeah? me or whatever. Yeah, I was on there many many years ago when someone pointed it out to me, and I would read. I would like you. I would go back and chronicle. Well, or maybe not like you. This is what I did. I read all the time, but not prolifically, like not 70 books a year, that's really, uh, that's amazing. Yeah. So I would go back and put a list of the books that I love, regardless of yeah. when I read them, and put a little thumbnail bio, or not bio, but a review, thumbnail reviews. And so I got a lot of books in there now. But about a year ago, two years ago, I think it was, I stopped posting to that because it was just like, I was overwhelmed with art blog stuff and it became just another chore to do it, you know, the way sometimes social media becomes a chore. Um, But it's a really good platform. It's a little community or maybe not so little. I don't know. It's great. It is great.
0: I like the curated lists of books they have, the best Mm -hmm. of 2021, Mm -hmm. the best of different genres. The the one that I found that was funny was... um, the most often started but not finished books.
1: <laughs> yes. And what, do you remember any of those? Because I have a bunch of those. Yeah, because one of them was something that I had just marked read, even
0: though I never finished it, which was Catch-22. <laughs> <laughs> Catch-22. House of Leaves was another one, but I have read that one. Um, what else? Oh, you know, Moby Dick, all of those. Um, Anna Karenina, but... Yeah. I mean, some of those books, they are just, you know, they're in high school. I was able to read books like those. Most of the books that I had read that were on that list I had read in high school. And that's because I didn't have a smartphone yet. And things weren't quite as fast paced in terms of social media. And this was not too long ago, right? I mean, I'm 24, but I really could read a lot longer and and more than I'm able to now.
1: Is it the influence of the internet, do you think? Social media, which is very fast, 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 and you know shortens your attention span, maybe, because it's a behavioral Pavlovian thing? Absolutely, it's that. It's also
0: notifications from email, text messages, mm. and school kind of ruined reading for me, college, for a little while, because I was reading this dense critical theory for deadlines and skimming it for things. and. There's just something that I, I stopped reading fiction for a lot of school because I was reading theory and I was reading art history and it's just it's a shift. It's
1: a total shift in the way that I was reading. That I love that you said school ruined reading for me for a while. <laughs> it really did. Wow. Condemnation a little. <laughs> No, I
0: mean, I learned so much reading that stuff, but I'm really glad to get back to reading for fun. That's the Mm -hmm. other thing is I think like art, like I'm still experiencing some residual residual effects of this, but art making and reading
1: Mm -hmm.
0: became about deadlines and about career goals and about grade goals. And I'm relearning how to do it for me and not to say that I finished something or not to post it online.
1: Oh my God. Doing it for you versus doing it for a deadline for a teacher, like an assignment or something. Yeah, that's a big thing. I think a lot of people coming out of art school don't make a successful transition from the school way of structuring their art making to the personal. Mm -hmm. Uh, That takes some time and takes some obsession. You have to be really very focused and very self-obsessed with what you're doing in order to make that transition yeah takes a while it's so true it's so
0: so many things I've had I have had to do that with exercise I've had to stop exercising completely in order to have a healthier relationship with it Mm. you know maybe this is a me thing but I think this is a lot of people my age you know I'm at the point right now where I've sort of taken a break from from art because i right out out of school i i went from having deadlines for school to having deadlines for a residency i was in and then mm-hmm. having deadlines for shows i wanted to apply for and while i look back at that time and i'm like wow i made so much stuff i made some good stuff i wasn't
1: sleeping mm-hmm. i wasn't cleaning or eating mm-hmm. as much as i'd like to so mm-hmm. you know it's a faustian bargain you know people talk about it and i think you make a lifestyle decision either knowingly or just falling into it which has to do with your need for self preservation mm-hmm. you know either you are subsuming the self into the art and you just go there and you become the workaholic artist that does things to further career and to just be 100% productive all the time or you're choosing to save yourself somehow other than that And then you have to find the balance of what does art really mean to me after all, you know, here I was, I had all those years in school. I really am committed to it, but then it, it subsumed me or consumed Mm -hmm. me, I guess it consumed me. And so now I'm trying to figure out the balance. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, what, what makes me feel good
0: is Art blog, projects like art blog, projects like television that Logan Crier, mm-hmm. Tim Belknap, and Heidi Ratanovich do. It's these community projects that involve themselves with artists and don't require that you be painting or sculpting or drawing. And, you know, sometimes when I'm involved in a project like that, curating or, or, or otherwise, that fulfills my career need, my career-driven need, and it kind of frees up space. My brain to actually enjoy painting. So it's like,
1: (laughs) it's kind of a catch 22. (laughs) That's funny. What, you know, curating is art. Curating is art making. It's a different type of art making, but it uses a lot of the same brain space. You know, you're making decisions right and left about line and figure and space and, you know, all of that kind of stuff that goes into making. A picture or a sculpture or a video or any of that stuff. It's just with a group of people generally, mm-hmm. you know? And it's also sort of managing. It's a managerial thing rather than it's managing something that is for you, but is for a bigger group. Yeah.
0: No, it absolutely is. And if anybody else were feeling pressure that they weren't making art and they told me they were writing or curating or working for an arts organization, I, I would tell them, you are making art, <laughs> but it's almost yeah. this internalized thing that you and I were talking about in our how do we value art piece. We think of art as making mm. um, a product, a visual arts product, and mm. sometimes it's hard to tell yourself
1: it's okay to not do that
0: <laughs> and right. still be an artist. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, it gets to the definition of art. Art doesn't have to be a product. Art can be very ephemeral. It can be, you know, a conversation like this could be art. It's us practicing our conversational art, uh, you know, but it's art.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think telling yourself that you don't have to do any one thing to be an artist and be involved with art is important. And I really am interested in rewiring the way I think about it to be the holistic process that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. It's a process of thinking and evaluating and existing within the world.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, I get asked when I meet someone for the first time and I tell them what I do and I'm an artist, I'm a writer um, and I run art blog and they always say, well, what kind of art do you make? And Back in the day when Libby and I were making art in the studio, I would say, oh, we're painting, or we're making sculptures, or we're doing street performance, Uh, and that was understandable. But nowadays, what I say to people, and I don't think this is very understandable, art blog is my art, and it's like blank. People don't really respond to that the way they do if you say, oh, I'm a painter, or, you know, one an expected thing. It's unexpected. Oh, you run a nonprofit organization that, you know, is a publication. And they don't say, how is that art?
0: But yeah. it is. It is. Yeah. No, absolutely. And that does get to something that I wanted to bring up later. Um, but before that, I'll say, like when my former professor, Karen, Olivier asked me to speak to her class and make a presentation about life after art school i talked a lot about art blog because i do see it as a way that i engage with the local art scene more meaningfully probably than when i'm painting or writing or attending a poetry class you know because i I've, I've met this great network of writers that we work with i've met people within the art scene just by emailing them i'm always saying i've emailed with you and i don't <laughs> and it's nice <laughs> to meet you in person <laughs> prior to the pandemic but yeah and community projects are one of my favorite genres of Mm -hmm. art
1: Mm -hmm. yeah me too good ones i like good ones yeah not to pass judgment on things but yeah community projects have great potential i think they're the future i think basically community is the future of art if we were going to get into what's the future of art like in philadelphia All you have to do is look around and see that there aren't that many galleries here. There have been dwindling numbers of commercial galleries for years. And, you know, it seems a good place for collective galleries to spring up. And we have plenty of art schools that have spawned a bunch of amazing galleries, collective galleries, Um, and it's a vibrant scene. But out of that, I think, comes... An ethos here that is community, community rather than commerce. You know, mm-hmm. you have commercial art and community art, if you want to split it up and give it a name. And I think that the preponderance of art in Philadelphia is community art. So let's embrace it and let's just go for the gusto and let's say and define art as community. It's yeah. what you do with community. Yeah, especially in Philadelphia, like
0: you said. And maybe that's another reason why I don't find myself making much is because in undergrad, I was with four or five people at all times making things, having a conversation about what we were making, making things in the same room, maybe not even directly together. And I think that's one of the things that I liked best about it is there's so much to learn from what somebody has to tell you. And I'm somebody who loves to learn through conversation, but yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's so many just wonderful, wonderful projects here in Philadelphia and so grateful to be living and working here and seeing them and yeah. getting you right about them.
1: I, you know, I think it also points to the people that have self-selected into living in Philadelphia. Um, you know, you wouldn't come here if you wanted to necessarily uh, sell your art at Sotheby's, right? On the mm-hmm. secondary market and be in you know have your art priced in six figures and all that kind of stuff there's a self-selection in who wants to be a community spirited artist and they're here in philly yeah you know they no, want to live true. they want to live
0: yeah Mark Thomas Gibson, when when you interviewed him for Art Blog, I don't know if this was actually in the interview or, t- or talking beforehand, but I remember distinctly he said that a big reason he moved to Philadelphia is because he listened or read something that, that was describing how New York was never meant, meant to live in. And I guess that kind of switched something in the way that he was thinking about the city mm-hmm. he was living in, and he decided that he didn't want to live there anymore, and he wanted mm-hmm. to live in a more community
1: ancient space. That's what I took from it. Um, so for sure, that's well, there, Philadelphia. that's right. There's live and live. So in New York, you can live, but in Philadelphia, you can really live, you know? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the questions that I'd written, written down, and I think mm-hmm. the conversations leading into this is, what do you, what's something that you hope sticks for the arts in Philadelphia post- vaccination from COVID-19 what's something you saw you saw happening that you you hope continues to happen because for me it's like the way that the community has stepped up um to to crowd crowdsource funds for each other to provide low co- cost av equipment in the case of television and and etc and, and finding these ways to connect virtually and reach out and make sure each other are okay
1: I couldn't agree more. I think that's the answer. Well, we just talked about community quite a bit, so not to beat a dead horse, but the community stepped up, as you said, and it's always been there for each other. There's always been collaborative things between the galleries and between the art schools to a certain extent, even though the art schools are rather insular in and of themselves. There was an attempt a few years ago to break down those barriers so it's it's here already so it you know the pandemic caused and the economic downturn caused all those community spirited people to see that they could do more than just collectivize they could help each other financially i think it came down to the financial problems that were going on for so many people and that's what you know spun them into action which is really, it's like heartwarming. It's really yeah. great. Yeah, this, the
0: auctions for other organizations mm-hmm. like Doc's Thrash and mm-hmm. just even looking at the list of added velocity recipients, mm-hmm. all of them are fantastic. Are you ready to do the $1 million question? Yes. All right. What is a blue sky project or what are some changes that you would make or take on inside or outside of Art blog? but I'm going to guess your answer is for <laughs>
1: our vlog. Yeah.
0: If you are awarded a million dollars.
1: Oh, you know me so well, Morgan. Of course, art blog is my baby. And I would take that money. I would pay our writers what they deserve. We've always paid our writers, but we don't pay them what they deserve, which is a lot. It would take a lot of money. And I would use that money. I would hire... You know, I'd raise your salary, I'd get an executive director in there who could be, you know, endowed, I'd set up an endowment for art blog so that it wouldn't go away. Mm -hmm. I think art blog has value. And that's been expressed to me through the years by many, many, many people from all over Philadelphia. It has great value. And so the big thing is, it's got it's hanging on by its teeth, you know, because we're such a small uh, budget organization. So I would endow ArtBlog with that money. And, you know, they could invest whatever percentage they needed to invest and then use it, spending money for the rest to, you know, pay you better, to hire an executive director, to pay the writers better, and to do projects that we desperately want to do but we don't have the manpower person power to do right now so hire some more people to help that's what I would do and a million dollars will not go far (laughs) I would just like to say that yeah no that's absolutely right and I was thinking about this a lot
0: because there's the blue sky things you want to do you want to you know put out more podcasts and have all the equipment that you need to to do it with the the you know, have the ability of people to call in on the phone and have it sound great. But what I was actually thinking about is I I, I don't think I would change too much of those things. In reality, um, I think, you know, the, the first thing I would do is advertise our blog and because it does have great value. And just to expand that as it is now, as it is now, it is very valuable to many people. So it can be valuable to more people exactly as it is now, if we are able to advertise. And you know, the projects that we talk about all the time, a writing residency, a one-year salary for a writer.
1: Wouldn't that be great?
0: Yeah, to hire some of our writers full-time as editors and writers. I mean, that would be amazing. And to to bring back the art writing challenge um more regularly and to mentor writers who aren't artists or journalists, because everybody can and should have a say in the arts and an opinion on the arts and should not feel alienated from doing so. And that contributes to the holistic practice of the arts and including everybody's opinions on them. And I think, you know, we, we've we talked about this, but art can feel, you know, alienating for so many people. And and, and if, if more people are paid and encouraged to write about it and, and consider themselves part of the art community.
1: Yes, all of that. I can't believe you would spend a million dollars on art blog. <laughs> That warms my heart <laughs> if it wouldn't if it weren't art blog, I would open a
0: restaurant <laughs> and feed the people you're going to feed the people yeah no i I would spend a million dollars on art blog. I'd really care about what I do here,
1: and I would love to see it continue forever. Oh, that me too, we are united in that thought, so let's get us a million dollars, Morgan yeah. <laughs> Our, our hands are open. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> have you gone into a gallery or a museum since the pandemic began? If so, why? And if, if not, why not? I have not. Yeah, I have not. And my reasons have to do with um, health concerns, uh, maybe extreme paranoia about catching COVID, but I have it. Uh, I mean, I don't have COVID but I have worries about catching it. And I don't live alone. I have a husband who I really would not like to get COVID and I have children and whatnot. So I'm protecting myself to as best I can. I'm not going to see art. Um, I'm not looking at art online so much, except for our auction, which was super wonderful but I'm not going to gallery websites where they have installation pictures and all that, not so much. Um, I'm reading. I'm fueling my imagination rather than my visual sense, which also fuels my imagination, but I'm using nature when I go on walks. I'm walking a lot more now, and that has become sort of a refuge and in a way a substitute for art. If I don't get my walks in during the day, I feel bad. It was sort of like if I didn't go to First Friday, I would feel bad. You know, it's yeah. kind of the same thing. How about you?
0: Yeah. No, I'm the same. I haven't been. No, I haven't been into a gallery. I haven't been into a museum. And there is some guilt for me when, when interacting with art this year, because, again, it's so difficult for me to focus on it. I mean, outside of, yeah, there's that. And then there's, you know, this, I don't even like going to the sprouts for food. I have been getting harvest boxes delivered. Um, and the days feel so draining, you know, I get anxious sometimes to go to the store that my sister works at, which is a smaller store I'm more comfortable working at because I'm like, I don't talk to anybody besides my partner, Jenny, and I get like social anxiety about it. I mean, I talk <laughs> to you on the phone so I don't get nervous <laughs> to talk to you. Yeah. Right. But yeah, walking, lots of walking. In the mornings, I usually do some workout. I mean, I need it now to wake up my brain because I'm not walking to the subway and I'm not wor- walking to work or biking to work. And when work is over, I cook and Bridgerton on Netflix or uh-huh. Survivor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just been important for me to prioritize my immediate needs in terms of cleanliness in around my house, comfort, um, physical exercise for energy and mental well being, mm-hmm. and sleep.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, and I ha- I agree with all that, and I think you're you're great to take care of yourself. And I still feel like the pandemic is limbo. It's limbo. We're in limbo right now. We will not always be in limbo. We're not going to ever go back to the normal that people were saying oh we got to get back to normal no we're not going back to normal ever not that we even want to i mean let's not go back to the way it was let's go forward but it we're not we're, we are getting vaccinated we are yeah. going to have herd immunity in the future this bug will become like a common cold it'll be something that you know is more tamed And there may be other pandemic viruses, other coronaviruses that come along. We don't know that. But we sort of have experience now that perhaps our leaders will now know more quickly how to to put a lid on it so that it doesn't take over two years of our lives. But I'm waiting. I'm just waiting to get out of limbo and then to go back, not back, to go forward into the new. And then I'll be ready to look at art again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I just feel that way about pretty much everything. You know, I, I just feel it's a time to take care of yourself, take care of your loved ones the best way that you can. And it's okay to, I feel like it's time we're time traveling. Like I, I, you know, I am not maintaining relationships with my friends as much and I don't feel our relationships have suffered because we're all just kind of time traveling through this period. I can't believe it's been almost a year. It Mm -hmm. just doesn't feel like it at all.
1: Yeah. Although every day felt like a month, right? So it's really elastic. Time has just become incredibly elastic this year. Very slow, very fast. Yeah, absolutely.
0: But... You know, there have been its upsides. I've solidified more healthy um, routines, waking up earlier and exercising and eating breakfast before I start my day and Mm -hmm. having dedicated time before bed to turn off the electronics and read or whatever else. Yeah,
1: that's a good one, turn off the electronics, yeah. Well, this has been a fun conversation. We'll see if it's any... If it's fun for other people to listen to. (laughs) Yeah. Shall we sign off? Yeah. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Thank you for listening.